building a company with a thousand dollars, you will become our CEO. It has to be the most successful, profitable company possible. And I can only work on it for an hour a day. We basically had like 2 million views in two days. Now I have 45,000 followers on LinkedIn. We received 6,000 connection requests just in the first week. Hello and welcome to Polyweb. I'm your host, Sara Landi Tortoli, and my guest today is Jao Ferraudo Santos, founder of Underdog Founders and AI Static Apparel, a company where Jao calls himself the human copilot and that has ChatGPT as CEO that runs all the decisions, and that to date, has managed to raise $100,000 in pre-seeds investment. With Zhao, we talk about how to build a company using AI and ChatGPT and how to create content that goes viral. Zhao, welcome to Polyweb. Thank you so much for having me, Sarah. It's a pleasure to be here. I am so looking forward to this conversation because this is going to be super informative, I'm sure, for a lot of people. And therefore, let's jump straight into it. But first, I want to ask you, where did the idea of uh, asking ChatGPT to build a business and act as a CEO came about? What were your goals going through, through this experiment? And are they still the same? the same goals or have they changed? Gotcha. Yeah. So this whole thing started on Saturday, March 18, when I saw a tweet by a guy called Jackson Paul. And he basically had a little screenshot of his conversation with ChatGPT. And it said, build me a startup with a hundred bucks in starting capital. You are now hustle GPT and I will be your human counterpart. And I read that. And I thought, this is like the coolest thing ever. I wonder what's going to change if the capital is like a thousand dollars or a million dollars. What about if you work on it full time? What if you do it for an hour a day? And how does that journey change over time? Um, and I wanted to play more with ChatGPT for a while. And so I thought, okay, if I do this with like a thousand bucks and an hour a day, it's going to be fun. It's not, a, it's not going to take up too much of my time and I'm going to learn and I'm going to have fun. So why not? Let's try it. The initial goal was really this, you know, it was to have fun and play with ChatGPT. So in the first hours, I basically said, okay. And then it gave me three options. We chose the one that had the most uh, likelihood of scaling, which was an e-commerce store that would sell t-shirts and booties. And basically in the first two hours, we had business idea, a brand name, a logo created by AI. And then I asked it, so should we get angel investors? And then it said, getting angel investors is a great way to de-risk what happens in the company because you will be putting in a lot of time and effort if you can get investors to actually fund the company, then your own commitment as a founder is partially de-risked. But you should talk to a financial advisor. And I'm like, okay, cool. Well, I used to be 
working in VC. So I guess I can be my own financial advisor and I can tell myself that it's okay. We can get some angel money. So then I WhatsApped a few friends and they all laughed uh, and I showed them the original tweet. And one of them said like, yeah, I can do 500 bucks. And then the other ones were like, if you really do this, like I'll do a thousand bucks. And I was like, okay, cool. So in two hours, we had everything and 2,500 bucks from my friends slash angel investors. And I posted about it on LinkedIn. And now that post has like 6 million views. Wow. That's wild. Really? That's absolute. So it basically started out as a prank almost. Uh, when you say we, you know, we, we started the business, do you mean you and ChatGPT or were you doing this with other people? So I basically mean me and ChatGPT. Since then, like two of our angels have helped us a lot with like incorporating a company from zero in Denmark with the paperwork for the investment round that we just closed last week. So they did help me a lot with like some of the bureaucracy that we still need to do in the real world. But yeah, most of the work is me and my CEO. Okay, so the e-commerce name, then it's AI Static. So once you pick the business, uh, what did you prompt uh, ChatGPT to give you the next, uh, next steps? Uh, do you remember? Yeah, so I actually document all of this in the Substack that we have, where people can follow and, and get emails from us where we're documenting the journey. So we'll leave we uh, the contact, we'll leave all the details in the in yeah. the show notes for listeners if they want to check it out. Yeah, like we we literally screenshot the dialogue and post it there so people can see. And so the first was really choosing the business, and then we chose the name. And then finally, I was like, okay, please give me a design brief so that we create our logo. And then it gave me a design brief. And then I put it inside mid-journey and voila, we have a logo. Okay. So what I'm also interested in is uh, you not only actually went out and did it, uh, you know, like, so you got the prompt and then you acted uh, upon the prompt, but you also documented your journey on social media for all the people to see. I'm actually surprised that not more people try to emulate you, you know, and kind of do the same. I'm really, really shocked about that. But what were your thoughts, you know, in, uh, okay, I'm going to share this online and see what's coming up. And what, what were some of the most surprising things for you. So we, we did get a bunch of people like asking me permission to copy the idea or just copying it and tagging me as the inspiration. Since I was inspired by Jackson Paul's tweet, I know I always told everyone like, best of luck, go for it, play with it, have fun. I think some of the craziest things that happened were there was a, a mother that showed the original post to her son. And then the son got really excited to try it. So they started building a company together with ChatGPT. Oh, um, that was cute. super cool. Then the most like emotional one was uh, someone had her mom all 
have a heart attack and go into the hospital here in the States. And she would visit her mom every day and she would read my daily updates to her every day and they would crack up mm. with my jokes. And then she was just like, she just sent me a note saying, thank you so much because this is bringing us like a little bit of joy in this tough moment. And like, that was amazing to read. I think those two are like my favorite moments. I think that documenting your, your journey through social media has brought you a lot of also business benefits, right? You got a lot of publicity because your, your posts really picked up and this allowed you maybe to incorporate uh, the business, uh, as you mentioned, and, uh, and raise uh, a pre-seed round. So maybe we can go more into detail and uh, discover the second part of the journey. Yeah, so, you know, the, the first post I thought was going to get something like 100 likes. I already have a decent following because of another project I have there which is called Underdog Founders, like we feature authentic founder journeys and uh, with like not PR friendly content, but like the real moments where like everything is on fire, you're running out of money and people that like startups really like that as well. So we posted that, then it was still Saturday and you know, I just went out to meet a friend. I'm on this art gallery and then I see the traffic start to go crazy. And I was like, whoa, okay. We basically had like 2 million views in two days. And when something like rises that fast, you know that it's temporary, first of all. But then you also know that if it blows up that much, there are things you can do to actually leverage that like in the best way possible. So, you know, essentially we had this moment where we needed to decide, are we going to really do our best thing? to ride this wave with as much exposure and momentum as possible? Or are we just going to accept that this is just a fun side experiment and we treat it like that? And we decided to go for it as much as possible because I'm also building another company with a mini component, right? So I bought a, a flight to the States. Uh, I took part of a big documentary at the invitation of CBS News. We recorded a bunch of podcasts. I'm hosting the AI meetups from all over the world. Uh, I put my Calendly on my LinkedIn so everyone could just book a meeting with me. And if it's a bad meeting, I cut it down to five minutes. And yeah, it's been, it's been a life changer. <laughs> Can I ask you very selfishly, when people put a meeting in your calendar and you realize after five minutes that this is not going to go anywhere, How do you cut it out? What do you say? Yeah, usually those meetings are like founders asking for free mentoring and they're lost and they don't really know what they're doing and it's not going to be the best use of my time. And so I just tell them, hey, I'm really sorry. I have a lot of requests for free mentoring these days. And so I can't really help because I just don't have the time. If you want, you can try to touch base again in two or three months. Maybe things have calmed down a little bit by then. And I really have to go, but I wish you the best of luck. That's it. Okay. That's really nice. That's a really nice way to, you know, to put it, <laughs> to cut it. Thank you. I'm laughing a lot because I just, I just saw, because uh, we are recording on the software called Riverside for people who are uh, listening. 
and you know you have to put the name right when you when you enter uh, the recording studio and you know mine says sarah <laughs> and jaws instead says human co-founder <laughs> So that's why I'm laughing a lot. I didn't notice it at the beginning. <laughs> I notice it. I, I really enjoy like tiny details. Like if you follow <laughs> our Substack where we showcase what's happening with ChatGPT and we post the screenshots, like I even added like very tiny different introductions if you're like a free subscriber or if you're a paid subscriber. So I love to do this like little Easter egg. Yeah. Yeah. It's very thoughtful. And I wonder, how did the opportunity to raise capital for AI aesthetic? AI aesthetic. I did say it correctly. Oh my God. Fantastic. How did the opportunity to raise capital for AI aesthetic came about? And so, how yeah. did you manage it? So I actually suspected we would, once it really, once it really blew up, I suspected. I was going to get some messages of interest because in the initial posts, I mentioned that I had raised a small amount of money from angels and I tagged those angels, right? And then once it blew up, he started to have people saying like, hey, I think this is so cool. Like, how can I invest? Let me know. Can we have a call? Let me know the terms. And basically, I went on ChatGPT and I asked, what should our valuation be? And then I gave it a little bit of information and it chose our valuation and it chose our valuation at 4 million euros. It's questionably insane. And we did it anyway. And it's a live route, like we closed the route last week. And at the same time, because we had some people that had like no investment experience wanting to invest, I was like, I don't want people to give me money. They're not actual investors that know what they're doing because this is just like a fun experiment. I don't think these people really understand what they're doing. So I also asked ChatGPT, maybe we should have a minimum ticket size just to filter out the people that are very excited, but probably shouldn't be giving us their money. And then it set the minimum ticket for 5k. And yeah, then after that, there were so many messages. Like we had like 40 messages, people saying they want to invest. I created a type form survey and I just copy pasted the template and told everyone due to sheer volume of requests, we need to prioritize investor relations by ticket size. Please put in your data on this survey. And I just copy pasted that to everyone. And then people started putting in their data. So it a hundred percent LinkedIn inbound. And like, we never had due diligence. We never had long conversations. It was just like that. How has your life changed uh, since starting this experiment? Uh, That's a funny question. You know, I think on one hand, I'm definitely still the same person and I'm focused on the same projects. But I think just the ability, like the first of all, of course, like the size of my net. Like now I have 45,000 followers on LinkedIn. We received 6,000 connection requests just in the first week. And a lot of those are from like very, very high tier business people. So I can't just ignore all of them or accept everyone. I actually am saving a list of like VIPs that requested getting in touch. So network is one. Then I think 
just my own credibility as someone that understands marketing, understands storytelling, like kind of speaks for itself. Yesterday, I was delivering a keynote at an event here in New York, and I was basically talking about the power of storytelling for early stage founders. And before, even though I've been in startups for 10 years, probably I wouldn't have a reputation for being someone that should be talking about that. Right. So I think reputation as a storyteller, as someone that understands marketing is definitely better and, uh, sheer network size. I wonder what are your goals now for, uh, for this company? Do you think it has like a, a real future and how do you plan to, uh, manifest it somehow? Yeah, so I mean, I think something that's very important with this company is that it shouldn't be me heavily influencing what happens in the company. It started as a company where we were basically following creative executive decisions done by ChatGPT. And so I tried to stay true to those roots and we will see what happens, you know, and on one hand, I can see it as this thing went crazy viral. So there was all this buzz around it, but we know that these things don't last. But at the same time, we have a loyal following and now we have capital to play with. And so just even from the storytelling side of it, the fact that we have this real life company with capital to continue to play and make decisions through ChatGPT. I think makes it more interesting to follow because it's just getting crazier. So we'll see. We'll see. I, uh, I don't know and I, I don't want to know. Okay. But, so you haven't asked ChatGPT for the next inputs uh, now that you have raised some capital. I was like, we basically uh, did the final transfers this week. Okay. I was waiting to have all the money in the bank account so I can screenshot it, announce it, and then we work on the next stage. All right. So uh, I'm very much curious to see what ChatGPT says uh, about spending those money and what are the next steps. Yeah, <laughs> really. me too, Brendan. Okay, this is going to be like a very fun ride. Um, but actually, the, beside the fact, you know, that the story is uh, uh, fun, the reason I also contacted you is because I think you really are a master storyteller. I really had like the time of my life uh, reading your post. I was laughing so much. Because <laughs> I thought, okay, this is not only intelligent, right? Uh, but it's fun, it's smart, etc. So I wonder how... Can you create uh, stories that are engaging uh, and insightful, both like on social media, but also like you mentioned that you, you work with your company Underdog to help founders uh, refine their pitch uh, and their stories so that they can raise money. So what's your idea behind uh, creating uh, engaging stories that help uh, people uh, buy in? Um, I think I just try to do things that I think are cool. <laughs> and that can sound stupid, but uh, I think that's really it. I've always been shocked 
at, you know, I grew up in Portugal and most of the marketing there is so lame. Like, I think there's a lot of very lame marketing in the world. And I never really enjoyed marketing and advertising just because of that. Like you see these unwanted messages in your phone screen and a train station when you're walking in the city. And I think people would have a different relationship with advertising if it was actually good content, if it was smart or if it was inspiring or if it was funny. So as I was challenged by some friends to build a voice on LinkedIn, my first reaction was, man, whatever I post out there, I want it to be cool. I want it to be something I can respect. I don't want to just post content all the time for the sake of trying to have followers if I'm not really passionate about it. And so I think that's kind of the guiding principle as to everything I'm doing is just can as a startup, as a piece of content on social media, when we do public speaking, can we find something cool to say? If yes, let's do it. If we don't have anything cool to say, like, what are we doing? Yeah, but this is not exactly how social media work, right? Uh, so maybe you have something cool to say, but if you don't say it frequently, they kind of uh, deprioritize your, you know, through the algorithm, etc. Like you need to be active. So I agree with you to an extent, like you need to post something cool that you really feel, etc. But coming up with content every single day, it's not that easy, you know? So I wonder if you have like a strategy related to that. Not at all. I think what tends to happen is people feel the pressure to post every day. And so it becomes this annoying task that you don't want to do because you have nothing to say. And then people end up posting low effort content that doesn't really get engaged. And I see a lot of startup founders do that. I would rather post less and take a hit from the algorithm if needed, but post with quality. And at the end of the day, if people like it, it's better to have content people think is great than to basically post all the time, but it's not so great. Okay, given that you need to post something cool, first of all, how do you define cool? And then once you have picked your cool, how do you structure it in a way that, you know, can drive engagement? Um, so I, I studied the LinkedIn algorithm a little bit. And actually, for most social media platforms, the things that work best are the same. It's content that is inspirational, educational, or interactive. Interactive meaning comment below to receive our free PDF type thing. So when you're nudging the user to have a specific action inside the post. So those are the ones that tend to get the highest engagement always. So I try to do content that is aligned with one of those three. And then my definition of cool is usually, you know, either it's something that is kind of like a very original thought. So it's a new idea, like challenge people's thinking. Or it's just something funny that will get people to have a laugh. Or it's something inspirational that like, gives me motivation for my day. So my, my definition of cool usually ends up being one of these three or combinations of them. Okay. Huh. Now, now I got to study a little bit the algorithm and see what's come up. 
I mentioned before that you work a lot with founders uh, and you help them, you know, craft their, their pitch uh, to, to raise investment. What are the most common things that they should focus on and that they said they tend uh, most often to overlook or, or to get wrong even? Um, yeah, I think the biggest mistake I see out there is people trying to build companies with very unclear value propositions. So mm. I go on your website or I open your pitch deck and I don't read one sentence that clearly explains to me what the company is doing. What is this product for? This happens all the time in tech. It, it's even worse in blockchain or like sometimes like AI, like the, the buzzwords, trendy sectors are the worst. You understand that it's very modern and cool, but you have no idea what it's for. That's problem number one, I think. Yeah. So how do you help founders get crystal clear on that and, and you know, find that one sentence that explain to me exactly what you're doing in a very clear, non-markety, oh, I understand uh, what you do type of way. Okay, so yeah, I think the first thing uh, I usually do is I just give them very black and white feedback saying, this is really confusing. Like, what do you guys do? Tell me like I'm five years old. And forcing them to explain it to a five-year-old helps a lot. Uh-huh. Can they manage to most of the time or do they struggle with it? They usually struggle. And then we recognize that they struggle and they shouldn't struggle. So then I start brainstorming with them. Okay, who is it for? What is the highest value they get? Let's arrive to one sentence that people can use to introduce what you do. Uh-huh. Okay. I think that's really difficult, right? Also, because it's... Uh... Usually when you do something or it's your product, etc., you give so many things for granted and you're like, how come you cannot get it, you know, and then you get really wrapped up around this thing. Yeah, because you're thinking about this every day, all the time. So you lose the perspective of someone that never looked at it for the first time and has no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, totally. I'm curious to ask you this. Let's assume that you, you've done your experiment with ChatGPT, okay? And you sold the company, okay? Uh, ChatGPT is still the CEO, but you're not anymore the human co-pilot and you move on to do something next. What will you do after the exit to try to replicate the success that you had? Okay, like how do I take this experience and like let it shape companies that I build in the future? Whatever is next, correct. I think something that's going to stay with me from this is kind of self-confidence as a creative person and as someone that can create content people will enjoy. It. So, you know, probably... Whenever, so I'm actually working on two startup ideas right now. They're very, very young. Uh, and we're just doing it a few hours a week for fun. But, uh, you know, I don't feel the need to have a CMO. 
because I want to be the one that has the storytelling and the product positioning and the marketing. So I feel like I can just naturally play that role. Um, that's one thing that's changed. And then also another fun learning was, I think like this type of creative work gives me a lot of energy. It's something that is exciting for me to do. And before I wasn't so aware of the difference between work that like really energizes you, that you think is really fun and you're good at versus work that like is important and needs to be done, but it doesn't really give you a kick out of it when you're doing it. You know, sometimes you have to chase investors to close the route. Sometimes you have to do a financial model to understand the economics of the business a little bit better. And I think I'm going to try to do more of the work that really energizes me and where I'm getting good feedback on and try to do less of the work that still needs to be done, but doesn't really need to be done much. How would you advise people to figure out uh, exactly what you just said? You know, work more on things that gives you energy versus uh, things that, you know, maybe they get stuff done, but doesn't give you that much energy. Because I think this is the common thing for most people, uh, myself included, in, in many things. So this is... This was a really, really, really late discovery for me. Like the fact that I actually really thrive on these very creative environments and these crazy ideas give me a lot of motivation. I would say for a very long time, I was just feeling like I needed to do serious work and I need to have a very respectable career. And so I was kind of trying to force myself to do serious work because that's what adults and since I started my own companies uh, and I moved full-time into them last year, I've been giving myself creative freedom and I don't have to like do things others decide I should be doing. Um, so I kind of naturally allowed myself to follow my intuition more and more. And I think it's scary, but it's also pushing you into the things that you really want to do. So I think everyone should have the experience of starting their own company and seeing where their intuition is telling them to go. Like, go to the scary, exciting things that you are afraid of, that you really don't want to be rejected on, that you think is a little bit crazy, because that experience is going to change who you are. Yeah. Do you... What were the things that you were telling yourself uh, in your mind uh, when you were going through this process? Uh, do you remember? Uh, yes. Oh, so the first week I had like infinite energy. Like I would go to sleep at 2 a.m. and I would wake up at 6 or 6.30, like ready to go and work without any alarm. Just like, let's go. My heart was beating a little bit faster every day. Even if I was just sitting down in front of the laptop, I just had like, I was fully on 110% every day. And I was super excited about the work that I was doing and, you know, creating this fun ride. After a while, I, it, like, it wasn't sustainable, right? So it started to shift between uh, being surprised at all the crazy things that kept happening and the invites to do this, the invites to do there, this person, that person reaching out. 
but then also like the fatigue starts to build up a little bit and you're trying to manage the excitement and your own fatigue. And by the end of the first month, I was like exhausted. I, if I don't start slowing down, like my body's going to quit on me. So it had this very, like each week had this very different approach of me looking at my life and just thinking my life is so insane these days. I think only now you start to like normalize a little bit again. I remember, especially in the first month, like everything just felt so surreal. You know, all the reactions, a lot of people would comment, this is the best thing I've ever read on LinkedIn. This is crazy. The new invites. And when I had the first meetup, so I started flying around a lot and I started telling people on my posts, like, by the way, I'm landing in Singapore next week. Let me know if you want to meet up. Then I had like 15 people wanting to meet up. And I was like, oh man, I don't have time for this. I'm going to find a place Friday afternoon. Everyone can just go there if they want to talk to us. And then for the first meetup, we had like 50 people show up. And I had a microphone in my hand. And I was working too much, so I didn't prepare anything. And we just like improvised this like storytelling Q&A for 50 people that have like really interesting profiles and so everything just felt very surreal and very fun because I just did things and I lived in the present moment all the time and I never had the chance to like slow down or like overthink stuff it was just like just do stuff don't overthink it just do it and have fun with it and that was a really nice different way to work but you must have a way to prioritize things, right? Because I can't imagine just uh, how many people do outreach you. And for context, like uh, you're really a super nice person. You're super reactive. Like I messaged you and you almost replied immediately. So you not only, you know, take the time, you're super reactive as well, right? So You were probably lucky. Because you was... probably caught me on LinkedIn at that moment. And then if something pops up right then, then I'm like, okay, I'll just reply now because it's stuck. But I have some messages that just got like buried under the pile. And what I started doing is actually when I'm replying to messages, I started filtering why unread and scrolling to the bottom to make sure that the people that accidentally started waiting too long, like don't wait so long. Okay, so I like being the lucky one, so I was lucky. But but still, you know, like you must have like a lot of people outreaching you all the time, especially at the beginning, even now, but especially at the beginning. So what's the way for you to filter and prioritize uh, all those requests? How do you deal with it? Yeah, so that's actually really, really hard because everyone on LinkedIn is a founder, investor, advisor, entrepreneur, public speaker, change maker, visionary. Like everyone. I read a post <laughs> regarding this today. Yes, it's true. Every, if you look at everyone's LinkedIn profile, it's like everyone is like this. It's true. So that makes it time consuming to understand if this person is worth my time or not. Like I need to go and watch every job they've ever had to try to understand, you know, did they work for amazing companies? If their founders, is the company doing anything at all? Does it have employees or is it just like something they started and died? It really takes time. So I put my Calendly available 
everyone that wants to have a meeting, I just say, sure, Calendly on my profile page. They can book it. I spend less time handling messages. And when we jump on the call, I say, hey, how can I help? And if they don't have a clear reason for us to be on that call, I just cut it. That's it. Uh-huh. So you, deal, you don't deal with the problem until it actually becomes a problem. But then how do you prevent your calendar being uh, like completely used 100% of your time uh, in calls? Like spending... Yeah, I put some big blockers. So uh-huh. I would just block some time so that it doesn't get booked like that. And so I would have a couple of hours every day that people can book. All right. Okay. So this is how you're preventing. Huh. Okay. Interesting. I'm mindful of your time. Uh, but as a last thing that I would like to ask you, what would you advise uh, people uh, that m- maybe like would like to start a business uh, now and they have these amazing technologies at their, their disposal? Okay, so I would say if you want to start a business today, the cost of starting that business has never been lower, especially with AI. Like you can have a brand name, you can have a logo. It's very affordable to do these things. You can learn how to get a basic website going. All these things have never been cheaper. So you can just get started. But I think what really helps businesses stand out, if there are new businesses that you're starting from zero, It is first, like make sure you're actually building a useful product because a lot of people are starting companies for the sake of trying to be entrepreneurs and they never actually build a product that is relevant enough. So then, you know, they try to have cool marketing. They try to do all the normal things everyone else is doing, but the product itself like doesn't really meet a great need, doesn't add a lot of value. That's what I would say is like step one, Build something that is worthwhile, that people need. Uh, And then step two, figure out a way to not sound like everybody else. Figure out a way to get attention on social media because it's the cheapest form of marketing and it allows you to do so much. You know, all we did was build in public and document this journey daily and look at what happened. Yeah, amazing, unbelievable. Jao, I really want to thank you for this conversation. I had a lot of fun, really. It was really enjoyable and fun and inspiring at the same time. So thank you. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure as well. Uh, Like, let's grab coffee when I'm in Berlin. Oh, absolutely. You should definitely come, please. (laughs) And for listeners, we'll see you on the next episode. Bye. That's all from today's episode. Thank you so much for watching or listening. If you find this episode valuable, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel or to the Polyweb podcast on Spotify, Apple, or your favorite podcast app. It would be fantastic if you could leave us a rating, a review, or a comment, as this really helps other listeners find the show. All the resources mentioned in this episode will be linked in the description and in the show notes. See you on the next episode. And if you cannot wait until next week, you can watch this episode right here that relates to some of the things that we talk about in this episode. Bye.